I'm Todd McKay. And I'm Franco Terrazano. And this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. And today we're going to talk about the Trudeau government's magic math when it comes to carbon taxes. And in Wastewatch, we're going to talk about the city of Montreal using tax dollars to make fake snow. Now, listen, I, I haven't spent a ton of time in Quebec. I've visited a few times, really enjoyed it. If it's in the winter months, I have not noticed a shortage of snow there. But somehow, taxpayers got on the hook for a bunch of snowmaking. But okay, coming back to you, Franco. First thing I've got to ask, uh, do you have a good time in Hawaii? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Todd. Uh, it's Friday afternoon right now. My beer's not in the fridge. My beer's outside in the snow. So I guess that tells you right off the bat that uh, I'm in Calgary. I am not in Hawaii. Okay. So you didn't go anywhere fun. You're just, Well, I mean, if you've got beer handy, I guess that can be fun. But yeah, the didn't... living room's pretty fun too. <laughs> all right. So politicians in Alberta in particular, but there's been politicians and bureaucrats all across the country, they've been taking just a huge beating because they've been telling all of us, stay at home, don't go anywhere, we've got a pandemic, you've got to stay home, don't even visit your family and friends during, uh, during the Christmas holidays. And then... Some of them are flying to Hawaii, to Mexico, all over the place, posting pictures on social media of all stupid things. And people are losing their minds. You know, it's one thing to sacrifice and not see your family and stuff during the holidays. It's another thing to see the guy telling you to do that, smiling and waving from a beach somewhere. So all over the place, a lot of people are saying these guys got to go. Anybody who is that hypocritical should lose their job. Others are saying, listen, the rules are the rules. You might not like it, but it is what it is. Let's not get too crazy. I thought you took a really interesting angle on this whole issue and took it to, frankly, a more productive place than, than I would have been just ranting about it. Where have you been going on this? Well, you know, people are mad, and I think they have every right to be mad. I'm mad. I mean, you know that. We've been going back and forth over the phone, but... You know, the right, the right way to think about this is how should we move forward on this, right? And we think that the whole scandal shows the definite need for recall legislation. And for our listeners out there, recall legislation, it's a rule that allows us to collect petition signatures. And if we collect enough petition signatures, then we can force a by-election and potentially boot a misbehaving politician from office. And, you know, the idea of recall legislation, it really goes back to a pretty simple one, but a very powerful idea. And it's that the people are the boss, not the politicians, right? So if we're the boss, then we should always have the ability to fire misbehaving politicians, you know, whether they're jacking up taxes during the middle of a pandemic, whether they're dipping their hands into the taxpayer cookie jar, as so many so often do, or whether they're failing to follow the advice that their governments are giving to others. But, you know, as it currently stands, especially here in Alberta, where I am, voters have to wait until 2023 to hold these traveling politicians accountable. Yeah, and I think it's really important to, to look at that boss-employee concept. You know, politicians, they're out there, they've got authority, they've got power, and all of these things. It's easy to put them on a pedestal like they're running the show, but that's not the way it is. It's the people who are the boss. The politicians work for us. We have to keep that in mind. And it's not just something we need to do every four years. We need to hold them accountable all of the time. And there needs to be consequences if the boss decides to make a, make a stand. So in this kind of a situation, it really is up to the people in those ridings. 
to decide what to do. It shouldn't be you and me who are firing somebody else's employee. It should be the boss who's firing that employee if they want to do it or reprimand them or pat them on the back and tell them uh, they're doing a great job. Anyway, it's up to the employer to deal with the employee. And in this case, the, the, uh, the politician is the employee. And recall legislation gives the boss the chance to do that in giving the people the chance to reprimand uh, their own politicians if that's what they want to do. But okay, you mentioned that there isn't recall legislation in Alberta, but it's the big Alberta idea in a lot of ways. It was at the heart of the uh, Reform Party movement back in the day. Where does the recall uh, idea stand in Alberta right now? Well, you know, I love it when you say that because, yeah, recall is definitely a very Albertan thing. And uh, now Premier Jason Kenney, yeah, he, he used to be a reform MP. Um, when he was campaigning in 2019, he, prom- he promised Albertans a recall legislation. Uh, here's what he actually said on the campaign trail. United Conservatives believe that MLAs should be accountable to their voters, not just at election time, but in between elections. That's why we will bring in a recall law allowing voters to fire their MLA and force a by-election if that MLA has abused the public trust. This is a law that exists in most U.S. states and about a dozen countries around the world. Uh, With 40% of signatures on a petition, you and your fellow citizens could fire your MLA if they've broken your trust, putting voters back in the driver's seat. Putting voters back in the driver's seat. I like that. I like everything I'm hearing about that. But Franco, we're almost halfway through Premier Kenny's mandate. You know, let's see a little hustle here. When are the uh, when are our voters going to be back behind the wheel? Yeah, I mean, we're we're almost halfway through this thing. So I mean, there's really no time like the present for Premier Kenny to to actually get recall legislation passed. And you know, we we actually did have a private members bill for recall legislation earlier on, but that died on the floor. Um, But, you know, we have been really up in the pressure here on recall legislation, especially in the wake of this travel scandal. And after all the pressure that we've been putting on and all the pressure that our supporters have been putting on, Kenny finally said that uh, he would definitely be passing and bringing forward recall during this upcoming session. Uh, This is actually what Kenny said on Facebook Live not too long ago. When will that recall legislation be going through this upcoming uh, winter session of the legislature we will be the government will be introducing and the legislature will be passing re, uh, the Alberta's uh, I, I was going to say first but actually second recall law there actually was a recall law here in the uh, 20s and 30s that was repealed yep so we're definitely going to keep holding Kenny's feet to the fire to make sure that he actually lives up to the promise and, and that recall legislation is implemented in a way that actually lets taxpayers to to force a by-election And listen, this is a big step forward for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And make no mistake, this happened because uh, CTF supporters and many others were absolutely lighting politicians on fire and telling them that this has to be done. So it's a good step forward. We want to see that legislation actually get passed. Um, And we need to keep pressure on uh, governments across the country. It's not good enough to just do it here or there. It needs to happen uh, right across the, uh, the country. 
Yeah, that's a great point, uh, especially because recall legislation, you know, we, we said it's a very Albertan thing, but it needs to be a very Canadian thing. And, and, you know, we've actually had recall legislation in Canada. We have it in British Columbia. It's been there since about the mid-90s, and it's been successful. There was one successful recall campaign. Um, you know, constituents found out that their MLA was sending fake letters to the editor they were pretty uh, ticked off about that, and rightfully so. And the MLA had to step down when he saw the writing on the wall. Um, but, you know, by-elections, that's important. But it's not the whole thing, right? I mean, it doesn't take a PhD in psychology to realize that a politician will think twice before blowing taxpayers' money if they, could fa- if they might have to face the voter tomorrow rather than in four years. And, and you know, recall, it's something that would definitely increase accountability all across Canada. So it's something that we need to push for both provincially and also at the federal level. More accountability is always a good thing. When politicians are worried, when they know their accountability standards in place, that can keep them on the straight and narrow. And when they wander off, well, then you've got a tool to, uh, to give them some consequences. Listen, if you want to know more about this, uh, Franco published a column in the Edmonton Sun on recall legislation. It's in the show notes. There's a link there. So check that out. And next, we're going to check in with our Ontario director, Jasmine Moulton. She's been uh, looking at some of the math on the Trudeau carbon tax. Doesn't seem to be adding up. It's time for Deep Dive, the part of the show that we dive into the important issues that Canadian taxpayers need to know about. I'm Franco Terrazano, and I'm going to be speaking with our Ontario director, Jasmine Moulton, about an infuriating infuriating new report from the environment department that proves Trudeau's carbon tax was surprise, surprise, not revenue neutral last year. Jasmine, let's blow the lid off this thing. Why don't you tell our listeners what the report says? Well, Franco, this was a damning report because it completely undermines the line Trudeau has been using all along to get away with his carbon tax scheme. He told us it would put more money back in our pockets. But now we see, and this is thanks to the government's own numbers, that Trudeau's carbon tax wasn't even close to being revenue neutral last year. The report shows it actually took hundreds of millions of dollars more out of taxpayers' pockets than was rebated in the 2019 fiscal year. There you have it, folks. Documented proof that the carbon tax was not revenue neutral last year. And, you know, it's bad enough that the Trudeau government as party has been lying to us about carbon taxes. Uh, but, you know, the timing, it's the timing that really makes this situation much worse because struggling families could have really used that cash in their pockets this year. So, Jasmine, this brings up the question, how much exactly more did the feds take from our pockets? If we look at my province of Ontario, for example, the federal government took close to $1.9 billion out of Ontarians' pockets through the carbon tax, but only rebated about $1.6 billion back. So the discrepancy was $218 million that they took, but never rebated, and that money's still sitting in government coffers. And... That's $218 million from Ontario alone, but there are currently four provinces in total where the feds have imposed their carbon tax. $218 million from Ontario alone. Like, that is a massive screw-up. We're not talking about a few dollars and cents here. And, you know, it really shows that the feds had just no idea just how costly the carbon tax was going to be, which I guess is uh, another problem in and of itself, showing just how disconnected from reality some of our politicians in Ottawa really are. But Jasmine, let me play a little bit of a devil's advocate here on the show. 
what if the feds try to clean up their big old mess here by rebating extra money in the future years, right? So what if Trudeau was like, okay, Ontario, we're going to make your rebate checks bigger than planned next year to give you back that $218 million that we overcharged you on. What do you think about that? Let's just say I have trust issues when it comes to this government and its claims about the carbon tax. And for good reason, because before the last election, former Environment Minister Catherine McKenna said that the government wouldn't raise taxes, the carbon tax, past $50 per ton. They won the election and now we see it's going up to $170 per ton. And when it comes to their promise that it would be revenue neutral, now we already know that they broke that promise last year. So will they make good on their promise to rebate back the excess in the future? Let's just say I'm really skeptical. The feds modeled their carbon tax after the one that was introduced in British Columbia back in 2008. And to get that passed, BC also promised that its tax would be revenue neutral. But by 2017, the province had completely abandoned all attempts to make the tax revenue neutral. And instead, they used the new revenue stream to fund, quote unquote, green initiatives. Given that Trudeau announced $15 billion in new unfunded spending alongside the carbon tax hike, they're going to need to find that cash somewhere else. You raised a bunch of good points there. So first, you know, the, the idea that a carbon tax is going to be revenue neutral, that reminds me of the old adage of beware of the wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, I think it really is magic math to think that politicians are going to tax us and then give us rebates back so that we're all better off. You know, we're not going to tax and rebate our way to prosperity in Canada. And, you know, I'm also glad you brought up the point of Trudeau's massive carbon tax hike that we heard about just before Christmas. Now, in Alberta, our environment minister came out and said that that could cost Albertans up to 100,000 jobs. So if you're one of those 100,000 Albertans who lose their job, well, guess what? I don't think Trudeau's rebate is really going to make you that much better off after you, after you just lost your livelihood. But now there's also another thing that we need to unpack from Trudeau's Christmas present to taxpayers. Not only is he massively increasing the carbon tax, but in his announcements, he also buried down a second carbon tax that's going to be on top of his first carbon tax. So Jasmine, why don't you unpack that one for us? Sure. So as a quick refresher for our listeners, in case you haven't yet heard, Trudeau's second carbon tax basically puts regulations on the carbon content in fuel. And it's going to make life way more expensive because it's going to be charged in addition to his first carbon tax. And so far, we haven't heard any indication from the government that this will be rebated. So between the two of them, that could add up to 50 cents per the cost of each liter of gasoline at the pumps by the time 2030 rolls around. Let me just recap that. So far as we know, there's going to be no rebate for Trudeau's second carbon tax. So hold on to your wallets on that one. Um, but Jasmine, I'm, I'm really glad you, you brought up the price at the pumps because that really gets to the heart of why Trudeau's first tax never has been and never will be revenue neutral. So why don't you fill our listeners in on that? Sure. So governments are cashing in big by charging you sales taxes on top of the carbon tax every time you fill up at the pumps. So depending on which province you live in, you could pay up to six different taxes every time you go to fill up. Now, the second carbon tax brings that number up to seven. And provincial and federal sales taxes are charged on top of Trudeau's first and second carbon tax. So you're paying taxes on top of taxes at the pumps. Now, that's a huge problem. But 
That's why the carbon tax is not, never has been, and never can be truly revenue neutral. Even if Trudeau did rebate back all the money he collected through the carbon tax, which we now know that at least last year he has not been doing, he's still cashing in huge by charging GST on top of the carbon tax. You know, sadly, a lot of Canadians have bought in to Trudeau's line of messaging when he says that the carbon tax is going to be revenue neutral. But that right there, that's why it's so important for our listeners to help spread the word and get the truth out that this tax is about taking more of our money and putting that money in government coffers. So how much do you figure, Jasmine, that the government is actually making off of this cash grab? Well, the federal government's GST is currently set at 5%. According to the Environment Ministry's report, the feds collected over $2.6 billion across five provinces from the federal carbon tax in 2019-2020. So that means that the federal government collected at least $132 million in GST, the sales tax it charged on top of its first carbon tax alone. And that number will only continue to go up as the carbon tax gets more and more expensive. But the carbon tax money grab doesn't even stop there because some provinces have their own sales tax. So in Ontario, for example, the province's portion of the GST charges 8%. So Ontarians paid 13% total in HST, which works out to about $243 million in sales taxes alone on top of the carbon tax last year. Well, you know, we've been highly skeptical of Trudeau's magic math on the carbon tax for a long time, but now we have the proof Trudeau's carbon tax was not revenue neutral last year. Now, I know our listeners are going to want to read up more on this, so we're going to include a link in the show notes on an op-ed that we wrote on this issue. And we're also going to include a link in the show notes to our petition to stop Trudeau's second carbon tax. Now, we need all hands on deck to fight Trudeau's first carbon tax. We also need all hands on deck to fight Trudeau's second carbon tax. So go to the show notes, sign the petition, and share it with your friends and family. It's time for Waste Watch. This is the part of the show where we make fun of the dumb things governments are spending your money on. We've got Renaud Brassard here. He's our Quebec director. And Renaud, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to say this politely, but you seem to make a lot of appearances in the Waste Watch <laughs> parts of the show. You know, I, I, see, I, I, I don't want to, like, I see a little bit of a pattern. Well, I think my politicians are actually, like, each trying to want to one-up themselves in order to get the, the next study. That, that's what I think this is at this point. It's, it's a bit crazy, but you've got a really crazy one for us today. Tell us, tell us what you've got. Well, Todd, um, you'd think Montreal had more than enough snow every year without City Hall blowing taxpayers' money on snowmaking equipment. And yeah, that's exactly what it did over the holidays. Despite Montreal getting over 80 inches of snow on average each year, that's over two meters of snow. That's a whole lot of snow. Well, city bureaucrats and politicians got a little bit tired of waiting and they decided that they had to step in and start using taxpayers' money to blow artificial snow on a bunch of sledding hills in municipal parks last December. You know, it's crazy. They say, you know, nothing in life is free. But in Canada, one thing you can generally get without paying too much is snow. Snow. It literally comes down from the sky. Usually when municipalities are talking about snow, they're talking about snow removal. Usually people are yelling at them because the streets aren't cleared fast enough and the politicians are wringing their hands saying, I don't know how, where we're going to find the money to clear out all this snow. And yet in Montreal, you've got politicians using taxpayers' money 
to make snow. Right. And, and this is the thing, like nearly every year, Montrealers get all these news stories about either the city government fearing that it's going to run out of money to actually clear snow, uh, or sometimes that they're so close to actually running out of money for snow removal that they'll just like not do any snow removal for anything short of an actual blizzard. Uh, and this year, the cash crunch is even worse, you know, with the pandemic, every single municipal politician out there has been crying poor, asking the feds and the province for more cash. And to see them spend taxpayers' money on snowmaking, of all things, mere months after crying poor, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, Montreal is one of the world's snowiest cities. Snow is pretty, pretty much the one thing we should not fear running out at, at like, anytime soon. And yet they're spending money on all this snowmaking equipment. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> it sounds like, to me, it sounds like equivalent to, you know, Saskatchewan politicians paying to make more wind somehow, or yeah. like maybe Vancouver paying for more rain. Like we already got quite a bit of this. We maybe don't need more <laughs> snow in Montreal, but okay. All right. So we can, we always ask ourselves, what were they thinking? And yeah, let's just be honest about it. We, we have a lot of fun making fun of them because like what in the world were they thinking? But in this case, you got into it on Twitter with the, uh, with the mayor's office. You let them have it. They came back hard. I mean, I'm not saying it's like the biggest Twitter fight in the world, but it, it got a little heated. Well, warmish, at least warmish. So what, what, was, what was the scrap like? What happened there? Well, that's the thing. They're, the whole exchange was crazier than you and I could imagine. So when I tweeted about it, pointing out how nonsensical it was to, once again use taxpayers' cash to make snow in the 10th snowiest city in the country, well, the mayor's director of communications was having none of it. He basically said something about how this was needed because of climate change, which there's a lot of things needed about climate change, but I'm pretty sure snowmaking should be at the very bottom of the list. Uh, but he also said that if the CTF was okay with private sector ski resorts making snow at their own expense, we should, of course, be okay with City Hall using taxpayers' cash to make some snow. <laughs> it's where you wonder whether these guys even read over their tweets before they hit send. Like, there's lots of things people do with their own money, a private business or a private... Per if you want to make snow in your backyard and pile it up to the roof, hey, fill your boots. Yeah. You do what you want to do. But this is taxpayers' money, and you're using it to make snow in the snow, one of the snowiest uh, cities in the country. It's just bizarre. It's just absolutely bizarre. Absolutely. And the whole thing is just so ludicrous. And to find City Hall doubling down and comparing itself with private sector ski resorts just shows how disconnected from reality these people are. You know, it kind of reminds me of that story we did a couple of years ago about uh, the federal government spending millions of dollars on a skating rink on Parliament Hill. At the time, all the bureaucrats and politicians in Ottawa thought, you know, Canadians are going to be okay with spending 8.2 million bucks of their money to build a temporary refrigerated skating rink less than 100 meters away from the world's longest skating rink. Well, it turns out that Canadians were not okay with this. And our supporters played a large part in making politicians understand that spending all that money on such an useless skating rink was unwarranted. It's like whenever these politicians see an opportunity to spend money, they don't even stop to consider whether or not they should. And, you know, if that money would have been 
better spend if it was left in taxpayers' pockets in the first place. But you know what's the kicker? See, this is the this is the, you always get to this part. Whenever you come on, you've got one of your stories. You've got like thing after thing of craziness in a story from from Quebec. And then there's always like a surprise kicker at the end. So, okay, what's the kaboom on this one? What, what's the final, the kicker on this one? Well, less than 24 hours after it was first reported City Hall was using snowmaking equipment, well, there was snow falling from the sky. We got 10 centimeters of snowfall less than 24 hours after. Uh, within five days, we get double that. So these, these guys spent money on snowmaking even though it was completely and totally unnecessary. Yeah, you'd think they would have at least looked at the forecast. Like if you're ordering snow equipment, wouldn't you just look and say, like, is there a chance if I just stayed on the couch and did nothing, this yeah. problem would take care of itself? <laughs> like sometimes procrastination actually gets the job done. They should have just done nothing. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Okay, but let's get down to the dollars and cents here. You're going back and forth with City Hall. Surely to goodness, they at least had the uh, good grace to say what the taxpayer's bill was on this. I think you're a little bit too optimistic about them now. Because that's the thing, we don't know how much this cost. I've already filed a bunch of access to information requests, both with City Hall and some of the boroughs uh, where this was happening, to make sure that we actually know how much this costs and you know how ludicrous it is to spend that money on it. But we have yet to hear back from them. Uh, one reason being that the bureaucrats taking care of access to information, unlike those taking care of snowmaking, apparently, were, on their, uh, were having Christmas vacations and were on their days off at the time. So we don't know yet, but I'll be sure to keep everyone updated once we know how much taxpayers' money would actually blown in this way. That's one of the crazy things about your crazy stories, Renaud. They're crazy when you tell them, and there's always, you always leave the cliffhanger that it's going to get crazier. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. All right. Thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure. All right. That's the show. Thanks for listening. And a huge thanks to our investigative journalist and also our podcast editor, James Wood, for making it sound like we uh, know what we're talking about. You know, it's funny. When we hired James, we didn't tell him he was going to have to, you know, fix up a podcast every week. It's probably a good thing because he might have had second thoughts about taking this gig if we'd have told him. In any case, he's doing a great job. Thank you to all of you for listening. Please let people know about the podcast. We need to talk to more people. We've got some big issues uh, in the country. We need to work on that together. We'll talk to you again next week. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.